Hello, I'm Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm recording this on Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. And on Wednesday, August 30th, 2023, I will be recording another audio commentary as I continue going through Season 5 of Bungo Stray Dogs. Last time we looked at Season 5, Episode 7 of Bungo Stray Dogs, Episode 57 overall, titled At the Port in the Sky, Part 3. This week we're looking at Season 5, Episode 8, Episode 58 overall, titled Land of Inhuman Demons, Part 1. I also want to correct myself. Last time I said I had zero idea where Studio Bones got the title for today's episode, Land of Inhuman Demons. Then I reread chapter 102. The title of that chapter was Wicked Realms Beyond Mankind. So that's where the title comes from, just translated differently. Realms, Land of, Wicked Beyond Mankind, Inhuman Demons. The Crunchyroll translation is more biting than the Yem Press translation. Also, Chapter 102 is about Bram Stoker and Teruko, so I guess we know who the demons are in today's episode. In any case, this audio commentary is released Wednesday night after the premiere of the episode and is available for any patrons at the $5 tier at patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath. And then this commentary will be public and free by Sunday night to watch on YouTube or listen via the podcast RSS link in the description. Also, at that podcast RSS link, you can hear my reaction to Bungo Stray Dogs Chapter 109. Speaking of Chapter 109, there is a spoiler warning for all of Bungo Stray Dogs, and I do mean all of it, up to Chapter 109 of the Bungo Stray Dogs manga as well as the film, stage plays, light novels, and audio dramas. There are also timestamps in the description to skip ahead to different parts of this commentary. In this audio commentary, I will talk about the episode trailer, then which chapters I think will be adapted, we'll get into the audio commentary, and at the end I'll share my post-episode reactions and any additional thoughts and news about all things Bungo. On Monday, August 28, 2023, Kadokawa released the trailer for Season 5, Episode 8. What do we see in this trailer? If I don't get to it in today's audio commentary or after watching the episode, let me give an abridged version of two points. First point, the animation has improved considerably. Maybe I am being kinder because this trailer is made up of all new animation not yet shown in previous trailers, so I'm just excited for something new and haven't had enough time with it to get cynical and pick it apart until the joy is lost. I know what you're thinking. Yes, I am a delay at parties. But just look at the movement the animators put into Dazai and Sigma's hair. Even some storyboarding details, such as Fyodor upset that his plan is falling apart and Vampire Chuya rushing at the barrier, are laid out well. And we had the intensity behind Kenji's kick, Kenji's stare, and Bram's previous vampire transformation. This animation in this trailer all looks at least sufficient, other parts look bold in adaptation choices, and a lot of it just looks excellent. But now we have my second point. While the animation looks good, I'm worried about the narrative structure. The competing storylines are going to be a problem moving forward. I really want to get into this in more detail, but to keep this brief, the choices were either choice one, keep everything to its own episode, which is pretty much what the manga chapters adapted this week are doing, and I think would have been preferable to keep the Kenji fight all to one episode and Teruko's two betrayals of Atushi to one episode, rather than leaving them as cliffhangers. Yes, those cliffhangers get people coming back the next week, but I think they were lacking. Or, choice two, do what the anime is doing, which is barely advance any one story because they are dividing the focus across too many competing storylines. 
the reason I'm bringing up the animation and the adaptation choices is out of my own pettiness. I have read some other criticisms of this season, and I am bothered how many critics just talk about what happens in the episode and don't really discuss the plot structure, the adaptation choices, moving from the manga to the anime, or, heck, don't even talk about the animation, the acting, the music. You know, all the things that go into an anime. Like I said, this is petty. And I'm not as good as I want to be in analyzing animation, but I'm trying, and it is bothersome to see almost no one in traditional criticism who is reviewing these episodes bothering to talk about some excellent animation choices like Kenji's kick or the hair animation or adaptation choices like how you structure an episode. So if I don't get to all of this in this week's commentary, those are my abbreviated thoughts about the animation, the adaptation choices, and the state of criticism about this series. Granted, I have a PhD in literature and I barely talk about the literary references in this series, but at least I'm analyzing the episodes like they are literature, so that's my weak defense. Anyway, enough of me being petty, let's get back to the trailer itself and what happens in it. Let's start with the Kenji stuff. Good job by Kadokawa marketing for beginning and ending the trailer with Kenji's eyes. I hope the cold opening can do something similar to begin the episode with Kenji's normal eyes and end the cold opening with Kenji's beast eyes, but I am getting ahead of myself. Let's look at the rest of the Kenji stuff. I'm surprised Kenji is still standing after the wallop he took from Techo, including the pretty well animated sequence of Techo slamming Kenji down into the floor the blood coming out and up from Kenji's throat. And we get the cliche of Techo holding his opponent up by the chin and neck before saying something that triggers Kenji to unlock his full potential and just let loose with that monochromatic kick and showing off those creepy shadowy eyes. I'll talk about what makes Kenji let loose when we get to the episode itself. What else do we see in the trailer? We have Teruko corrosing Atushi to give her a piggyback ride. I already know I'm going to be insufferable whining about Teruko and the forced humor in all of this before her inevitable betrayal. We'll see whether Studio Bones keeps the gag where Atushi realizes he has already gotten this treatment before. Not only Rompo in that ogre flashback in Season 4, but also from Akutagawa in the fight against Gon at the end of Season 3, or even him mentioning non-piggyback stuff such as carrying Yosano's packages in Season 1. Whole lot of continuity callbacks. The comedy is emphasized here with Teruko and Atushi. I anticipate because when Teruko betrays Atushi, it'll be more painful. The problem is that Teruko and the anime already showed their hands. We already saw Teruko strangle Atushi, so we have sat a lot of the tension about whether Atushi can win this fight against her. Granted, Atushi wanted Teruko to stop him so that she would see Tachihara's video, but this is yet another moment where Atushi is going to lose yet another fight in the last few seasons. He lost to Gogol, he lost to Hawthorne, he lost to Fukuchi, I wanted a fight here. I want Atushi to show he can match up against Teruko. We don't get that. It makes Atushi look weak. It makes Teruko boring because we don't get to see her having to exert effort. I get it. We already saw Teruko take down the drone at Sky Casino and withstand Sigma's gunfire. But this is Atushi, the Were Tiger. Let this beast put up a fight so that when Teruko manages to defeat him, it feels earned, and it shows how strong she really is. But I'll save the Teruko whining for later, because her team fascist bullshit simping over Fukuchi is going to lead to a lot of whining about this episode, and probably the next one. What else is in the trailer? Back at Mare So, the prison duel reaches its climax. 
I know that's weird to say, seeing as we get more after Dazai drowns Theodore and Vampire Chuya, but that should have been the climax. We get Theodore defeated, we get Dazai imitating a legitimate regard for Chuya and having to say goodbye to him, and instead Dazai gets easily undermined here because of Chuya's gravity ability, something Dazai should have seen coming, but for plot convenience, doesn't. This duel is going to get so tiresome, with check upon check all impersonating a checkmate that I wish this had been the end to this fight. It's going to get tiresome seeing Theodore and Dazai one-upping each other before Sigma seemingly screws this all up, defeating the point that Sigma is supposed to be smarter than this. At least we'll soon get Theodore's I'm wet line, so have fun, audience of thoughtful and mature viewers. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I do appreciate the trailer showing Theodore showing some other emotion, in this case anger and panic. Too bad that, again, Theodore is going to be shown to have already predicted this scenario, hence his anger and panic is probably just an act. I wish we had some greater complexity to this antagonist. I get the point that maybe the series is waiting until the end to give a satisfying emotional outburst from Theodore, similar to Bungo Stray Dog's Gone in Season 3 having his panic at losing to Atushi, or Ashra after getting punched by Maka at the end of Soul Eater, or Bill Cipher's tirade at the end of Gravity Falls. But here? We really need to see Theodore has some set of emotions other than smug and calm. Season 3 of the series wrapped up with Theodore stunned that Dazai and Fitzgerald stopped him but not panicking. I need a moment of Theodore just losing badly. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Also, because I think I should repeat something, this anime is really trying to make Dazai and Sigma look beautiful. The hair animation. It is bizarre how, with these episodes, the animation looks so much better and it makes the earlier moments look worse, including how rushed the Fuguchi vs. Atushi fight was. I think the season premiere was effective. Rompo quickly rescues the agency members, Juno looks terrifying, the comedic reactions to Rompo's press conference work. Even the comedy around Fuguchi at the UM was animated well enough, even if I didn't find it funny. But the Fuguchi fights against Atushi and Tachihara felt underwhelming, and now Studio Bones is taking its time to animate Dazai and Sigma's hair. It's just bizarre how some stuff looks gorgeous, other stuff doesn't. Maybe Bones just knows how fans are going to obsess over Dazai and Sigma when they are dripping wet later in the anime, and want to start prepping the audience to see two gorgeous characters with gorgeous hair? Who knows? The final stuff in this week's trailer is Bram and Aya commiserating over their origin stories. This time we learn how Bram became a beast. For people who haven't read the manga, I should warn that Studio Bones seems to be taking some liberties. I don't think what we are seeing is what Bram actually looked like to others. I think this is a visual representation of how Bram thinks he looked to others and it reinforces how little humanity he thinks he has left. Based on what we're seeing in the trailer, I anticipate this is how Bram thinks he looked, because based on what the manga has shown, Bram doesn't come across as the contagion that the story has made him out to be. Maybe I'm biased towards Bram, or maybe the story has done a bad job at communicating that no, despite my sympathy for Bram, he is indeed uncontrollable when his ability takes over, and even if he shouldn't be a limbless sword kebab, he is not in full control of himself. But from what I saw in the manga, he came across as someone who was mistaken for a monster, was not willfully or even unintentionally infecting people with vampiricism, was contained, was managing himself, but due to the panic of others, was wrongfully imprisoned. 
The manga shows that Bram's entire land was seized by other forces and wiped out. This was never about containing the threat of Bram's ability. It was just about killing his people and taking his land. That should be a moment to position Bram as a foil to Fukuchi. Two men damaged by wars outside of their control, puppeteered by powerful political manipulators far away from the battlefield. But the story has let that detail, that similarity between Bram and Fukuchi, remain underemphasized. I think to the detriment of the story, and thus a failure to lend any complexity to Fukuchi and let other characters help develop Fukuchi by showing what he is. Fukuzawa exists to show where Fukuchi could have gone. Bram shows how Fukuchi is perpetuating the same violence that lets Bram without a family and without a county. But none of this in the story really feels like it is emphasized sufficiently to let us feel the tragedy that is Fukuchi, who instead comes across as irredeemable, monstrous, fascistic, immature, and gross. I wish this story made Fukuchi a tragic character, but that would require giving him some noble quality first, and the story keeps failing at that. That takes care of the trailer stuff. Let's talk about which chapters will be adapted in this episode, and what happens in those chapters. The trailer shows scenes from chapters 100, 100.5, 101, and 102. In fact, as I said at the start, the title of today's episode comes from the title of chapter 102, that being Wicked Realm Beyond Mankind. The trailer really seems to be showing everything from those chapters, so I'm not sure what else this episode can fit. Maybe this episode will also adapt chapter 102.5, in which Vampire Akutagawa corners Aya. But I hope episode 8 does not adapt the rest of chapter 102.5, in which Fukuchi captures Kunikita and Tanazaki. Wednesday is Kunikita's birthday. He wouldn't kidnap Kunikita on his birthday. And I really hope episode 8 doesn't adapt content from chapters 103, 103.5, and 104, because those chapters begin the Fukuchi and Fukuzawa fight, and while the previous episodes and the season poster show some of that fight and a flashback that leads into that fight, I also would be fine if we delayed that stuff for season 6 and used the rest of season 5 for a light novel adaptation, because the anime is already getting way too close to where the manga is right now. Last week, episode 7 adapted everything in the manga that has been collected into volumes, not just in the US, but in Japan as well. If you want to know what happens in the manga, you have to buy individual chapters, which is a pain given how the page counts fluctuate in these chapters, some monthly chapters incomplete and having a subsequent chapter the next month labeled as 0.5 chapters, 100.5, 102.5, etc. Maybe Asagiri was busy with the anime and had to slow down on the manga. But this is one reason why fans are worried that this anime will overtake the manga. And I'm still wondering whether episode 11 this season will get ahead of the manga and start adapting stuff that hasn't appeared in the manga yet. Or whether this season will end early for a light novel adaptation. I had thought at one point that this season would end with Dazai drowning Theodore. That instead will be in today's episode. I think now that this season will end with Dazai thrown down the elevator shaft and Fukuchi stabbing Fukuzawa. But whether Studio Bones stretches out episodes 9, 10, and 11 to do so, or whether this week or next week will indeed be the last episode before switching to a light novel, we won't know until this week's episode ends with the title of next week's episode. So, let's get on with it and actually watch this week's episode. Let's begin today's audio commentary for Season 5, Episode 8, Episode 58 overall, titled Land of Inhuman Demons, Part 1. 
It is now Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. I had today's episode pulled up and paused. You can watch this episode on the Crunchyroll website, then pause the episode before it starts. I will do a countdown, so after I finish saying 3, 2, 1, unpause, you can unpause the episode and watch along with my audio commentary. Everyone ready? Okay, starting the countdown. 3, 2, 1, unpause. All of this makes me wonder why we didn't just bother with saving the Rompo phone call for this episode. I understand we have a lot to fit in, but I really wish we had kept certain content together at the same moment where it belongs. Again, good acting for Teruko, I just don't like the character. I forgot about Koyo as one of the other characters Atsushi has dealt with. I know I'm splitting hairs, but it is bothersome that the entire airport has no other security, no other passengers going through. It's a little unrealistic. It is the limitations of animation, but what can you do? This episode is taking much more of a shaft approach in adaptation, not strictly sticking to how the manga staged all of this. I appreciate the staging, I appreciate the storyboarding, the atmosphere. And again, I really wish we had Atushi go all out here, rather than just having him... He got injured that quickly. And Antushi's not even back on his feet. I get the point that we're supposed to believe that Atushi is not well trained enough. The fact that she says, I'm sorry, I wish I could believe that. It's not quite a failure of the acting. It's more so a failure of all of the context in the writing. As I've said before, Teruko exists as a character who says, I enjoy torturing and my disappointment is that my subjects don't confess before I kill them. It should lend complexity to show that, oh, she feels regret for what she's doing to Atushi. The rest of the story hasn't shown that. I'm also a little surprised they animated anything of Atushi turning younger the manga let that more ambiguous whether it was Teruko just knocking him out or whether her age manipulation was in effect to make Atushi younger. It also disappoints me that we didn't just start with the Kenji as the cold opening as I had hoped. Something else about this opening, and yeah, fans online point out something I should have earlier. That sword, the time travel sword, showing the flashbacks to Fukuchi's past. Time travel sword shows the past, I get it. But this opening really needs to put in more Kenji for this episode. And we still have Yosano in the episode and her trauma, and yet it doesn't appear in this episode. We are losing track of Yosano. Good fight staging. So much of this is coming directly from the trailer, so I really hope Studio Bones and Kodokawa are saving how out Kenji gets in this fight.
it would be nice if we had any camaraderie between Techo and Juno to understand why he's doing this. The message to the hunting dogs. There are only two left. And I do appreciate this staging. I did not remember Kenji kicking Techo out of the building. That is a better choice. I do like how we are drawing Kenji. We are going to have to have a discussion about, so we had to make Kenji dark when he falls into that phase. But then we go back and now he is showing his typical appearance. This is so strange given that this is how it unfolded in the manga as well, that we had to wait four seasons to finally get Kenji's backstory and just what was up with him when he and Atushi faced off against those thugs that we see in the gacha game. I do like the lighting. I do like how we are creating an atmosphere of the agency's office. It does show, including with the color here of Fukuzawa arriving at Kenji's village, Studio Bones knows how to do color theory when it comes to these episodes, including that contrast between the village in good health and where the mudslide was. I don't think that that pan was as effective to show the devastation and what Kenji accomplished. Leaving this to still images might be as the manga did it. It's just not as engaging a choice for this flashback, depending so much on narration. And then I'm talking over it, so I'm not making it any better. But when you then cut to the other side to show what the rest of the village looks like and the different colors, it does fit. I'm disappointed with that choice. In the manga, Kunikita had more of a smile, a rueful one, as he said that. Uh, again, odd choices by Bones when they choose not to let characters show a little more complexity and emotion. Let Kunikita smile. Today's his birthday. Your friends. I really wish we had something to show it. And no, having to read the one manga is not what accomplishes it. Techo being willing to die here is silly, but that's his character. So what can you do? I don't get that staging choice. Was it Kenji willing to kill Techo and then he reclaimed his humanity? I, I mean, the staging could have just been... Kenji lifts it up and then tosses it, like not just a let it drop behind him. I want Kenji to toss it to make it clear that, no, he was in full control. He was not out to kill Techo. He was out to stop him. This is also going to be disappointing that now we just write out Kenji and Techo from the rest of this arc, similar to how we've written out Yosano when... These are characters that we would really need right now to stop Fukuchi. This is plot convenience. It is 
We gotta get these chess pieces off of the table. Yeah, you could have stopped the fascists, but you didn't. Cutting now to the prison duel is fine. I had already said if we're going to divide up the storylines, maybe this is a better approach to just wrap it up each one at a time. And again, the hair animation on Sigma. You can't tell me Bones wasn't figuring out we need to ramp up the animation to make all of this look gorgeous. And let's see if they actually show Chuya. See, they cut away before Chuya puts his hand down to put a little indentation in the floor so that they can escape later. Again, that Dazai didn't predict that would happen is a bit much for me. We did have the chibi animation with Atsushi remembering how difficult it is working with his colleagues and enemies. And now we have it here again with Dazai. Bones is trying to put in these gags where they can. Again, given that this is the same team that gave us Soul Eater, it's not that different than the chibi artwork when we see the map going from the DWMA to Ashra's underground. That gag works. I like the musical cue. If I had any revision, showed their faces because that looked either like Theodore or Dazai. And as I said, it's hard for me to tell the two. I also appreciate the color contrast, seeing as Sigma already has different color hair. Of course, his two thought processes would be under the different colors that we've had for Ajushi and Akutagawa. And I do appreciate Dazai toying with. Sigma saying, how about a quiz? And Sigma falls for it and then says, no, I'm not here for a quiz. Y'all already fell for it, Sigma. This is the stuff I like of making Sigma a little naive. It's when Sigma loses to Theodore that it moves from this is naivete to just, no, he made a stupid mistake. And there, that frustration that Theodore has, we're going to find out later, it was all fake anyway, so who cares? I also don't like the power scaling here, that we're just told there's an anti-ability metal, and that Chuya won't be able to get through even that. If at any point you had shown this metal earlier, Granted, this is our first time seeing a prison that holds ability users. Which is weird because Oda really could have used that kind of a prison back in the Season 4 light novel adaptation. And right, Dazai is just playing off here since he had already gone into this room earlier. In the manga, there was blood coming out of these guards. And then Dazai says, oh, I didn't kill him, I just knocked him out. And it's like, no, there's blood, you killed them. The anime here changing it to be bloodless, I appreciate more to clarify that Dazai is a killer, but he didn't do this. The staging on Chuya trying to get out, I don't like as much. Theodore's face there also shows he already knows that he's going to win this, so... You either make Theodore look like he's competent or not. And now we get the Cat Burkor. The pose there of her escaping with the documents is pulled directly from the manga. So, 
again, kind of wish we took some additional liberties with all of this. It's also disappointing that we're not going to get a name for her. I don't know who the actor is going to be for her. She's not going to get many lines before she gets killed off. Again, all of these are nitpicks and disappointments. And I don't know if there's any significance to the Christ pose, seeing as she is going to be a sacrificial lamb for this story. And yeah, it's a fridging hem. I would be more irate about it, but seeing as we do have other girls and women in the series that were not just used as motivation for the men to keep going, that is slightly less irritating. Still a problem, though, since, as I pointed out, where are Yosano? Where is Kiyoka? You can't fridge a character and then write off all of your girl and women characters and act like, well, we can ignore killing not the cat burglar because we had these other girls and women who were not there. Yeah, we had Teruko. Having her be in the position of an antagonist does help add complexity to the story. And then it turns out Theodore knew all of this anyway and got away with it anyway. The fact that Theodore probably knew they went to the security room. Again, disappointing. I'm also disappointed here... I didn't remember this chamber feeling so claustrophobic given how the manga paneled everything. It'll depend on how they stage how Theodore looks up at the camera to glare at Dazai. Whether they can make it not identical to the manga necessarily, and there it is. It doesn't work as well here. In the manga, it's much more of a above-it-all view down at Theodore that Theodore's having to crane his neck to look up more. It's the problem of having to figure out how do you take a manga panel that can be any shape and size and translate that to a TV screen that is stuck to the same size no matter what. If you have something like Ninja Turtles 2003, they just kept modifying the aspect ratio all the time. Because we don't have all of the scenes that the anime couldn't have adapted from the manga and light novels, the only thing we get is the hand-holding from 15, and how dare you remind me of 15, the worst light novel adaptation we got. The music is having to do more of the work because the visuals are not contributing to any regard you should have for thinking Dazai and Chuya care about each other, which I know there are fans of the Dazai and Chuya ship. Their dynamic in this series has never struck me as one of mutual respect or any affection. Pika Pika? It's really bothersome how Aya gets these moments to shine that are deserved and that makes sense. And it isn't only because she's not having a face-off against Rompo and Theodore and, and so on. This is irritating because we have seen everyone come up with really good planning and it works out for almost none of them, but it is for Aya. We can also nitpick how believable any of this is that Fukuchi was able to bring in all this medical equipment for Atushi and later Kunikida and Tanazaki. I 
I do appreciate the staging on this transformation, which was just one panel in the manga, whereas here we draw it out. I had said before that with the manga, that was how Bram saw himself. I appreciate Aya interrupting. I think that clarifies for me that, yes, this is just Bram's view of himself, not who he really is. I have been trying to figure out what that sword is. I cannot find the literary or historical reference to it. If someone knows, let me know in the comments. I'm talking over this exposition because even when I'm reading the manga, it goes over my head. I don't get how combining the human body with the ability does this to Bram, but then again, we have gotten no explanation as to the anti-ability metals. I also despise this. You did not need the stupid Fate Stay Knight's seal on his hands for this to work. Yago just said Fukuji's ability allows him to get the sword even more power to control Bram. That would have been enough. Instead, we had to clarify how come Bram wasn't able to just have Aya wield the swords. I'm disappointed that they don't include the other people on the spikes and poles as happens in the manga. It wasn't only Bram that was impaled. There were others. So, not quite censoring, but definitely skimping now on showing how bloody this was. You are the king, Bram. I guess I should count myself lucky that we aren't going to show Fuguchi trapping Kunikida and Tanazaki. But once we're done with the credits, then we need to see whether we're going to keep this arc going or we're going to switch to a light novel. If there is any one vampire design that works, it's probably a Kutagawa, but that's more because we're just accenting what was already there, including the absolute bloodlust. With the others, because we never met those security guards, it doesn't mean much. We didn't meet that little prince before, and we don't see Juno or Tachihara's transformations. And Chuya is just nothing. And there is a reason that fans think that is the case, that we're supposed to believe Chuya's putting on an act and this was all planned with Dazai. That's stretching things. Chuya is very likely still a vampire. There were people hoping that when he was drowning, that that was his humanity coming back and the vampire effect going away, but then. The anime did not go in that direction with an adaptation choice. Now to see if we get any post-credit surprise, or if we get the title for a light novel as the next one. Which wouldn't make sense anyway, since this is a part one. And sure enough, we're keeping up this story. I have stepped away from the episode to try to gather my thoughts before recording this next part. I didn't enjoy this episode as much as I wanted to. I think I went in with higher expectations based on how good the trailer was in anime and Kenji, only for that fight to end so quickly that we had to move on to the prison duel and to Aya. This is what I was getting at as to the value of keeping certain storylines to their own episode. If we had an episode of just Kenji, I think all the Kenji stuff would reinforce each other so much that 
I wouldn't have forgotten the Kenji fight and the Kenji flashback as soon as we got to the prison duel and to Aya and Bram. Moments like these get to just exist and breathe. We're rushing to the next plot point. The episode has washed over me in part because it felt like I was seen through four different mini-episodes rather than one entire storyline. When Atushi was tied up in Teruko's torture room, I had forgotten the cold opening by then. I should give a disclaimer that my internet kept going out while watching, so this was a start and stop process of getting through the episode. However, I do think the structure of this episode was not helping. I have said before that shifting back and forth abruptly to each storyline doesn't help. However, there was something about this episode that felt worse. We begin with the Anjushi stuff, then I forget about that because of the Kenji stuff, then the Kenji stuff ends and now the prison duel is overwhelming my attention, and then the Bram stuff wraps it up. I ended this episode forgetting about Atushi until we see him tied down again. I forgot about Kenji because we are now onto the prison stuff. I forgot about the prison moment because we get to the enjoyable Bram and Aya dynamic. And I should say something about Dazai calling out to Chuya, but even that didn't hold my attention, largely because I'm less enamored with Chuya as a supporting character, and because without anime and Stormbringer, the anime sticks to just that one hand-holding scene from the 15 light novel adaptation, rather than any bigger dynamic between the two characters. I'd have even taken footage from Dead Apple as a placeholder, just something more to suggest a longer history between these two. In the manga, we see various panels from other events in Dazai and Chuya's partnership, some animated, some not yet animated. Here, however, we get just the 15 shot. Not the two working together in Stormbringer, not the two working together against Steinbeck and Lovecraft in Season 2, not the two in Dead Apple flashbacks at Dragon's Head or in the film's climax. It just felt underwhelming. A failure to really hammer that Dazai has any affection for Chuya, thus making his goodbye feel too much to me, like he really does not have any care for Chuya. It also felt like the best parts of the animation in this episode were all kept in the trailer. I really thought we would get more of Kenji's fight being animated this well. And instead, we just get the eyes and the kick. I appreciate the choice of making Kenji look like he is just an ability in itself moving, like in Dead Apple. I appreciate the excellent use of colors to differentiate the destroyed mountain and the saved village in the flashback. But these are color choices, not animation. I want more movement. I appreciate the atmosphere created with these backgrounds and with these colors, but I also wish we saw Kenji in action protecting his village, not limiting it to only still images. I don't have much more say about the other plots. The Bram flashback was more sanitized than I thought it would be, to remove more blood and other victims. Although the affection and comedic regard Bram and Aya have for each other is the most affected part of this tiresome, overly long arc. Sigma's humanity, childish glee, and self-doubt are all appealing. Dazai is a shrewd tactician, which is why his failure later in this arc to recognize that Chuya used gravity on the entrance before entering to later break himself and Theodore out is galling in Dazai's failure to anticipate that potential problem. Theodore was just not as desperate as I wanted him to appear, further hinting to the audience that he is going to get out of this quandary, which is tiresome, just as tiresome as Teruko defeating Atushi so easily. I wish the animation was clearer on Teruko de-aging Atushi, which I thought was left more vague in the manga. Why Rompo trusted Atushi, only for Atushi to screw up this badly, I don't know. Where are Yosano, Lucy, and Kiyoka? Let's wrap this up with what to expect for the next episode.
And yes, I should have figured with this episode being part one that the next episode will immediately be part two. It was not likely part two would be saved for next season, but I was open to a surprise. In any case, season five, episode nine, episode 59 overall is titled Land of Inhuman Demons, part two. This episode hinted at Kenji and Bram being two of those foreign demons. The manga seemed to be leaning more to the demons being Teruko and Bram. So, why are we making it part two if we are out of demons? I'm guessing next episode the demons will be Teruko and Fukuchi, seeing as this should be the beginning of his flashbacks with Fukuzawa with assistance from Teruko, who tortures Atushi while telling him about Fukuchi's actual motivations, which, as I will keep whining about, Teruko tells Atushi, but not the audience, so we're going to be stuck in the middle of some frustrating storytelling choices that drag out a mystery longer than it remains engaging. I anticipate episode 9 will adapt chapters 102.5, 103, and 103.5 titled Wicked Realms Beyond Mankind, Part 1, Section 2, and Part 2, Sections 1 and 2. Yes, these titles are annoying. If you had to divide a part into a section, the serialization is having a problem. We'll pick up where Episode 8 left off with Akutagawa capturing Bram and, despite Fukuchi's orders, not killing Aya, but capturing her too. And we should see Teruko beginning to interrogate Atushi before deciding to narrate Fukuchi's backstory. We then cut to Fukuchi capturing Kunikida, Tanizaki, and Rampo before he begins his fight against Fukuzawa. While we should see flashbacks to Fukuchi's time on the battlefield and some of his past with Fukuzawa, the real question is whether Episode 9 will also adapt more of those flashbacks. Ideally, chapters 104 and 104.5, the two Fukus, should be the title to their own anime episode. I don't know whether Bones can stretch out this small amount of plotting and fighting to a full episode without starting to show more or even all of Fukuzawa and Fukuchi's entire flashback arc. For this reason, I'm still considering the option that Studio Bones will end this season with episode 9 ending with Fukuchi defeating Fukuzawa and that being the end of the season before episodes 10 and 11 are a light novel adaptation. We'll have to see next week. I'll wrap up there for today. Thank you so much for listening to this audio commentary. Are you able to keep track of the competing storylines better than I can? Did the Atsushi stuff stay with you even into the Kenji stuff, and the Kenji stuff into the prison stuff, and the prison stuff into the Aya and Bram stuff? Let me know your thoughts in the comment section or email me, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. If you have enjoyed this commentary, please consider contributing at coffee.com slash derek.s.mcgrath or patreon.com slash derek.s.mcgrath. Special thanks to Alec Roach, Emily Lauer, and Alexis Duran. Next week, I'll record audio commentary for Season 5, Episode 9, Episode 59 overall, of Bungo Stray Dogs, titled Land of Inhuman Demons Part 2. Until then, I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good day. Bye.